Welcome to State of the Art Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Our guests today are artists Guy Aitchison and Michelle Wortman of Hyperspace Studio. Guy and Michelle are both artists that work within the realm of tattoo, oil on canvas, and Michelle also works within the medium of photography. Enjoy our conversation with Guy and Michelle as we explore some of the ideas around tattoo, some of the previous stigmas, and what has now become the cultural norm that elevates tattoo to a higher art form. Enjoy our conversation. Guy, Michelle, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm so excited um, to have learned everything about you all recently. Um, to have such artists right here in Marion um, on so many different fronts, um, both your paintings and your tattoo work and your photography as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all so impressive. Um, I'd like to just kind of talk about how you guys got started. Um, Guy, where did, where did you grow up? A few different places. I was born in Michigan and you know, moved around a little bit. I lived in the country in Maryland for a bit, which gave me a taste for living in the country. And then we ended up in the Chicago suburbs for the, the bulk of it after that. And, and as soon as I turned 18 and could fly the coop, I ended up in Chicago. And what was, was there a lot of art or music or anything in your household growing up? Yeah, well, okay, my parents were both musically inclined. My mom ended up being a flute teacher. And so there was a fine arts vibe, I guess. And there were art books in the house. We didn't have a lot of money. And there were three kids, and so they encouraged us to draw a lot. And my dad would just bring home reams of computer paper from work. And so we just drew a lot. And occasionally there would be a new art book that would filter into the house that was really uh i mean i was very inspired by these i remember specific moments of seeing these paintings um big one being the series the great artist series that uh you know imagine these big books thin you know aimed at a general audience but it shows a painting and next to it is a couple paragraphs about the artist's life at the time and how the public reacted to that painting and the fact that they were broke and things like that and it was it really humanized this this great art and made it easier to imagine, you know, I, I want to do that. You know, even reading the stories about them all being broke, it's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> well, and that's the, there's a real beauty to to the concept of, of these highly respected artists who were struggling for their passion and for their art during their lifetimes. But today, they're some of the most respected art in the world. And and so often an art an artist isn't isn't viewed on the level that they're eventually viewed upon during their lifetime, and they never actually get to see their greatness acknowledged. Can't let that stop you. Never, mm-hmm. never. Um, Michelle, how did you how did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Chicago. Uh, I went. I've been creative since I was a kid, really small kid, like six. I started painting and spending time with my aunt at the art institute because she was the school nurse at um, the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, the school. So I'd go with her and she would uh, show me art and, te- and she taught me how to paint and just exposed me to creativity. And then from there, I just, it became something that I felt really connected to and I, I just followed it. So I went to um, high school and majored in art and then I went to college and majored in art. And then 
uh, he and I shared an artist studio in Chicago. Um, and that was like, I really wanted to put it as a priority in my life. It was not, wasn't how I made my living, but it was what, what it mattered really probably the most deeply to me, um, in terms of my pursuits. And then, uh, when we lost our loft space in Chicago, because it went condo, we started looking at Illinois and ended up at the bottom of the state. So that's how we ended up here and have been working on our artist life ever since. That's a huge switch. It is. Going from a loft in Chicago to <laughs> rural Southern Illinois. Absolutely. And and was there something for the two of you that that kind of led you into that path towards that rural country lifestyle? Green Acres? No, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, there was there was definitely a certain amount of just youthful, what the heck, let's do it. You know, kind of. You know, we didn't really know what we were getting into. We were really young. We were in our mid twenties, and it just seemed like a utopic dream. And why not? Yeah. We had nothing to lose and didn't know anything more and just thought we could we could just have time. You know, that at was first, really precious. At first, we were going to try to rent a space down yeah. here, but there was, just wasn't anything very good. And we ended up buying a house, which... Well, because yeah. the lady that showed us the space said she didn't want to be a land, landlord, but she thought we might want to see the house that we ended up buying. And when we did the math, we realized that um, a mortgage would be cheaper than rent mm-hmm. and we could own it. So we we're still paying off our mortgage, but... We're almost done, and um, it's been a great investment and a great, um, I'd say, like, it's definitely uh, contributed to our evolution as human beings and as artists. And and you guys were obviously here long before there was a, a heavy, heavy artistic presence in Marion specifically, um, yes. and, and through, somewhat throughout Southern Illinois. You know, there, there was not much happening. And, um, I mean, we came knowing that our, you know, I had a tattoo clientele that was already traveling for me in Chicago, so I figured, well, they'll travel for me down there, hopefully. And thankfully, they did. And Michelle started tattooing. We began doing conventions. And so this was sort of our urban-rural alternation for a long time. We go city, country, city, country for like about a year and a half. And then we realized that's a bit of a drive. Yeah, we were in Chicago for a while, but then we did the conventions full on for, you know, one of them every month or sometimes two a month mm-hmm. um, for a decade or so. It was a, it was a long stretch. And That's a lot of travel. It is. It's a lot of travel. We drove to most of them and um, we built up our clientele. We met a lot of people. We made friends or, you know, strengthened existing friendships, a lot of which, you know, some of these folks will come visit us now. Um, so even though we were away from Chicago, we weren't totally isolated either. We just had this very big shift in what our social life consisted of and what our artistic life consisted of and that kind of thing. It was, it was huge. And so you mentioned that, uh, that you eventually started tattooing. What got you into tattooing? What, uh, For you, Guy, what got you into tattooing oh, well, initially? Okay, so I had this idea that I was going to grow up and be an artist. And tattooing was just not even a thing uh, that you would think of as an art form back then. And I was punk rock. My sister was punk rock. And she said, hey, guy, let's go get tattooed. And it was all of a sudden the best idea I'd ever heard <laughs> in my entire life. And we made an appointment. And I made a drawing. And we weren't able to get in for a week. And I had dreams about tattoos all week. And I didn't even know what a tattoo machine looked like. But I had dreams about doing tattoos, about teaching tattooing about standing on a stage and addressing a tattooed audience. This was my dreams that first week. And there's never been. And this was before you ever, ever got 
the first dot of ink on your skin. Correct. Yes, it oh. was a weird thing. Please tell the lizard story, the lizard skull. <laughs> the it's the best story skull. ever, and it relates to well, this, what he's saying. It's so good. Yeah, okay, so my first tattoo <laughs> was this little green lizard, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm this underage punk rock kid, and I go to my mom, and I'm like, hey, mom, I want to get tattooed. She's like, oh, fine, whatever. Uh, I'm thinking either this little green lizard or this, this dripping bloody skull, what do you think? I'll pay for it if you get the lizard. <laughs> so the skull came a couple weeks later. But that's uh, so good, though. I mean, it's in a nutshell. That was his introduction to getting tattooed, and then shortly well, yeah, after, you know, I was hand poking tattoos on my friends. <laughs> shortly after that, and my mom came, walked in on me one time doing this, and she's oh, infections and oh, parents <laughs> and police. And later at the dinner table, she asked me, "Have you thought about getting yourself a proper tattoo pen?" <laughs> And, you know, at, this, at the time, I think they were just looking for anything that would work because all three of their kids were kind of getting in trouble and not really college-bound. But that's, a, I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible, really. Like, that's, I, I think that's the first story I've ever heard where a parent sees you doing something not advisable by, <laughs> you know, hand-poking some tattoos on your friends and, and says, you obviously are interested in this. Let's take you further down that road and, and get you really into it in the right way. They, they were pretty hands-off most of the time, but that was surprising to me, too. You know, that would have gotten other, like any of my other friends at the time would have been in huge trouble. Um, and they were not like super permissive parents at all. You know, I just think that she recognized that I was going to do this and might as well do it without causing infections and yeah. you know that kind do it of the thing. right way if you're going to do it right yeah that's incredible and so i i saw something in your bio on your website about punk rock album covers <laughs> yeah i did a bunch of those um and and heavy metal um i wanted to be a science fiction al uh, book cover illustrator it was like my childhood fantasy and and just from being in the punk scene and, and that kind of thing i ended up Doing that instead, and well, and, and metal album covers aren't really that different than sci-fi album. Oh, covers. some of them were full-on sci-fi, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, I had a blast. It was it was it was a great uh, practice career, I guess. I got paid terribly. I got paid for two weeks, what I now get paid in an hour. Um, but it was practice of listening to clients and their strange requests and trying to hammer it into some kind of a vision and then having a deadline and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I did about forty of them. Wow. This is back when they were. And they're still circulating. You can find them Some of, on yeah, eBay. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Collector's items. Awesome. And so, Michelle, how did you get into tattooing specifically? Uh, so I got into tattooing because of a guy. I mean, okay. it wasn't because of him, but being around him and being exposed to the tattoo culture. Uh, we started dating when I was 22. I, was a hair, I used to be a hairdresser for a living in Chicago. And our circles kind of orbited around each other. So his friends and the people I was friends with kind of, we all knew each other. So um, when we started dating, I started getting tattooed. And um, even though it was nice to be tattooed, I wasn't really happy with the tattoos I'd collected. For me at the time, it was the 90s, so different than it is now. Now you can get any style that you can imagine. But in the 90s, there were just a few styles that were available to collect. And um, for me, I wanted something that was like lighter and softer and what I thought would be prettier, because pretty is subjective to what you think it is. But for me, I just I wasn't really happy with the tattoos I had. So. Um, I became a tattoo artist to do the tattoos on other people that I wish I could have on myself and that formed my career with his guidance and, and help, you know, and influence and acceptance of my unique 
needs as an artist to see that uh, visualization come come to life. Yeah, there's, there's an incredible pushback. Of, yeah. You know, keep the women out of the shop. You know, or there's a lot yeah. of that my style wasn't legit because it didn't look like a legit tattoo. That's not I heard a real that tattoo. A That'll never hold yeah. up. Yeah. So I yeah, because it, it, was, it, was it was the pastels and it was the florals and yeah. it was, it wasn't, it didn't look aggressive and it didn't, didn't have a, yeah. a, a bold, Very well bold, said. aggressive feel like a lot of traditional tattoos at that time did. And it didn't have the longevity that people look for in a tattoo. It's lighter, so it fades more easily. It's not as, uh, you have to revisit it and layer it to make it stay better. There's like a, it's a whole science, but um, that was what got me into tattooing is being tattooed and being with Guy and just having opinions and people telling me that my opinions didn't mean anything because I wasn't a tattoo artist. I actually heard that before from yeah. someone. They were like, well, you don't know anything. You're not a tattooist. I'm like, but I'm a person. I'm a client. I'm somebody who has a reaction to aesthetics. Why, why can't you consider this? So that's what motivated me. And it, and it obviously really broke the mold because, I mean, that's you see the, it more now. the floral pattern oh. is not necessarily patterned, but a, a floral-based tattoo is, is incredibly prevalent now. Yeah, you're right. And uh, especially tattoos without outlines. You see, I mean, almost every shop, even locally, does them. It's, not, it's no longer just a black outline for a tattoo. Yeah. So. Yeah, specifically, it was the no-outline approach. That was what raised a lot of eyebrows. And, yeah. Uh, I actually took a lot of flack a lot of grief like on the forums everybody was like you know trash talking me how could he let her do that like i had to get let his permission her? to tattoo yeah. you know so it was like very, how, how can yeah. my farm animal wife here you know, <laughs> the, you know without my permission pick yeah. up a tattoo machine i mean there really you know has been there a, was lot a lot of, of misogyny built into the into the tr traditional it's, approach it's way better now it's a lot better but, it's a totally uh, different world i mean obviously it's, it's some of that lingers everywhere you know it's it's definitely way better now, but uh, you know, Michelle had a vision. That's the reason she really got into tattooing. She had a vision for a type of tattooing that nobody was doing at the time. At the and time. No, it's not. If I tell you my, how special I am now, you'll be like, take a number, because there's a lot of other people out there doing amazing work and you know, just taking no, the No Outline tattoo further. And it's nice to see. I'm, I'm proud that I could be part of that, And um, but that's, that's what motivated me to tattoo. And you mentioned that you had kind of toured or kind of toured with the convention uh yeah. system and and throughout as you progressed and as you did more conventions um how did you find the reception of the no outline tattoos at that point uh, well at tattoo conventions people just wanted to get tattooed so they're like i'll i'll give you this giant part of scan even though i only had like a couple of hours so it was really, I was overly ambitious for that time in my life, but I was grateful for the skin. So no one had any, the people wanting to get tattooed had no problem with it. It was the artists that had a problem with it. The people, the traditional tattooists yeah. and people who are just like, what is she doing? And I'm sure some still ask that question, but I'm busy making art so they can think what they want. I'm happy with the work I do. My clients uh, are very supportive and I have, have clients I've been working on for like almost 20 years. A lot, a lot of clients come back and it's a continuing, it's a continuing process, so... Well, Anna, there there was one video on your website that um, is a girl that that started with just a shoulder cap mm -hmm. and then has done more and more and more. And it, and she speaks about how empowered she feels by the artwork that she wants on her body in the way that you're doing it. Um, and I, I find that I find that story alone so telling as to how meaningful your work is is that it, it really appeals to a completely different 
person than than the traditional tattoo style would have prior. Right. And there's some. It's just like there's someone out there for everyone, and there's something something out there for everyone. So we can all be unique and diverse and have our. If, if tattooing is supposed to like aesthetically declare yourself as like, like I have my individual identity, then why shouldn't there be styles to help facilitate that further? Yeah. Why should all styles be the same? We don't all eat the same food and look the same and do the same things and listen to the same music. So I feel like it's just an extension of individuality. And, well, and it, it's a narrow bandwidth, but it still exists. And it, it expands tattooing in a way that the, that the art world has expanded is... It really is, I mean, tattooing obviously is an art form. And similar to painting, there's something for everyone. And how you accept it and how you view it and how you experience it is what is where the meaning lies, is how that individual person experiences it. Right. That's true. Yeah, of course, you've got the same mentality you get with music. Like, mm -hmm. my music is the only good music, you know. Uh, the stuff everybody else listens to, I, I just don't get it. You know, it's not legit. And so, okay, traditional tattooing, the funny thing about it is the way that it came about was artists were trying to come up with designs that they could put on a sheet and hang it up on a wall, and anybody who knows how to pick up a tattoo machine is going to be able to do a reasonably good copy of it. These are people with no ability to draw stick figures. They're going to be able to do a copy <laughs> of this howling wolf, right? So it's got to be that simple. And so there is an economy, a visual economy to it. And that's appealing to some people. And that's combined with this sort of 50s nostalgic vibe too. So you take that visual economy, that 50s nostalgic vibe, and you've got a specific look that a lot of people, when they think of a tattoo, that's just gonna be the first thing they think of because that's, that's the stereotype. Um, and some people have just never gone past that. That's, like, that's a tattoo and none of this other stuff counts. Well, there was also a an association, you know, if you're talking about older generations, you know, 80, 90-year-old people at this point, um, our parents and grandparents whenever we were growing up, there was a giant stigma around tattoos mm -hmm. as a whole and that tattoos weren't for good people. They weren't for professionals. They weren't for, for um, people that are productive in society. And... And it's amazing how that stigma still kind of lingers. Um, we, we were talking about it just beforehand. My, my daughter said to me just yesterday, well, I, I'm kind of scared of people with tattoos because they're not very nice. And, and, and I think that all comes from, you know, she's watched, she's watched cartoons. She's watched animated things. Right. that. Um, but then you, you have uh, an animated feature like Moana where the tattoos are the storytelling mechanism for right, right. the one character and, and his successes and failures are all built into his tattoos and, and it touches into the traditional tribal history of tattooing that, right. that is so much more than that 1950s stigma. Well, in that traditional island, island culture, tattooing was a huge mainstream part of their culture. It wasn't a subcultural thing at all. It was mainstream the way that, you know, I mean, um, any anything you'd see on TV right now would be considered mainstream. That's that's what it was uh, at the time. And if you were the chief, you had to have the right tattoos. You would never be chief without them. You know, so you weren't even legitimate if you didn't have your tattoos. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very opposite of uh, 
uh, how we perceive them now. And it's funny because that's probably the way it's been for most of history. There's just been this brief time when it, it ended up in the, in the gutter, right? Uh, because when uh, Captain Cook's people first came back with you know, a few of these tattooed tribesmen and introduced tattooing to England, it was the aristocracy that were, it was this fad among the aristocracy that were getting tattooed. Um, but then that didn't last, right? It ended up going through this, this dark period. But before that, it was royalty and chiefs who had the tattoos for thousands of years. So anyway, Utsi the Iceman is found, right? They find this 5,000-year-old tattooed mummy. And the scientists are looking at him, like, oh, he has tattoos. And they scratch their chins. And they're like, wow, I guess they had criminal gangs back then. <laughs> <laughs> and it took a, like a few years of like people talking sense to them. They were like, oh, uh, okay. I guess these are like shamanic markings. Okay, maybe... You know, they had this whole story, like he was waylaid by the other members of his criminal gang and left dead and bleeding in the ice or whatever. All because of the tattoos. But then it turns out they were able to distinguish from his tattoos that he was an important leader in the Right, in the right, right. It was, uh, a, it was symbol, symbolic of importance rather than something more negatively associated. So even amongst our rational thinking scientific people, that's just without batting an eye, they're like, oh, criminal. Yeah. Let, let's though, accept today's societal norm and, and apply it to 5,000 years ago. Right. Even though it was just a very brief part of our history that tattooing was in, in the gutter like that. So anyway, we're coming back out of the gutter now. Yeah, and is and there even the gutter? It's just part of the, uh, the cultural bell curve, you know? Like, right, it has to right, go right. from somewhere to somewhere else. You know, even saying from what was like in the 90s to now, there's always going to be the, an evolutionary process in art, and that, that's no exception. But because it was, you know struggling like that the people that were keeping it alive were you know your bikers and uh and if you were an artist and you were interested in tattooing it, you know i remember i was in this boat it's like okay i want to walk into this tattoo studio but it's scary mm -hmm. right and then when i realized i was obsessed with tattooing and i tried to get an apprenticeship my first option was like these two gnarly biker guys and and that didn't work out. And then in Chicago, I had my choice between the place run by the Nazi or the place run by the strung out dude or, you know, the choices weren't great. And people were still firebombing each other's shops back then. And so you didn't get people who were like straight out of art school wanting to seek it out. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it wasn't a it wasn't a respected art form at that point. Right. Well, and and it wasn't a respectful art environment you know so if you came in with all these art skills and an art degree you might get laughed out of there because you're not tough enough or whatever. but you were no. handed a toothbrush and told to scrub yeah. the toilet I, I was really yeah. lucky i was really lucky <laughs> i worked for a guy who was a decent human being and he was not racist and he treated women with respect and his you know the, the guy that taught him to tattoo was one of the only openly gay tattooers in chicago history so he came from this very progressive mindset but you know he had a monkey on his back and so i had to deal with that you know um but uh there was still an attitude of we're making art here he had been to some art classes and you know so i was, was very fortunate yeah, right yeah. right i was very fortunate you know considering what was available in chicago mm -hmm. at the time there were only seven or eight shops chicago had a, a a limit a moratorium on how many tattoo shops there could be really it's long gone by now there were seven tattoo shops in all of chicago all of chicago yes there was a hard moratorium. They would not allow, uh, issue a new license until an old one closed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, that, that falls under that stigma around 
around what is now a, a highly revered art form. Right. Well, okay, so another thing about Chicago is there was this bustling neighborhood in South State Street where sailors would come by the thousands and they'd bring all their money, their paychecks. And, you know, there are penny arcades and flop houses, places to drink and, you know, all that. Uh, girls, girls, girls. And there were tattoo parlors, you know, and they were very popular. And the city hated South State Street. They just, they thought it was a, a lesion. And they figured out that the way to shut it down with the least amount of legislation was to raise the Illinois tattooing age to 21. They did that, the tattoo shops closed up, South State Street turned to a desolate wasteland, which it is to this day. Task failed successfully. Um, wow. <laughs> and they only recently re reduced the tattooing age back to 18. Just mm -hmm. It was years. relatively recently. A handful of years, years ago, or, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. 10, I don't know. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of weird, weird history in here. You yeah. Know, but, uh, you know, the, the leadership has not always loved tattooing. Yeah. Uh, but now it's, it's changed to the point where most states have tattoo laws that were written by the artists that okay. went to the state and said, here's our bill proposal because we hear you're want, looking to legislate and here's something that will work for everybody. And they'd be like, thank God that saves us a couple million. Yeah. Uh, Just and, in research alone. Well, because we have been a very, very self-protecting industry. You know, we do, we do not tolerate people who make tattooing look bad. Mm -hmm. So people who are running conventions, even, even if it's not required by the state, require everybody who's coming to have the cross-contamination uh, certification, that kind of thing. Uh, we've always really looked out for ourselves and tried to set a strong standard because I mean, otherwise they're going to come and, and lock us down. Because you're working... Your entire career, you've been working towards breaking a cultural stigma um, to to just embody your own artwork and and, and to, to put your artwork out there with people and to serve your clients. That, and, you know, I think a lot of us have always had this idea of elevating the art form. You know, just with every passing generation, we see it get better. The art itself gets better. The clientele broadens. The reputation improves. Safety improves, the communication, uh, the generation of ideas, all these things keep improving. And it's exciting to be part of that and, and pushing it forward. And you don't want to see any of these big steps back happening. We're very mm -hmm. protective. So we've been talking about it becoming an art form. And, and Michelle, you were, you were passionate as an artist before you became a tattoo mm -hmm. artist. And right now you have a collection of oil paintings being featured at Cedarhurst. Correct? Right. Yeah. Um, and it's a beautiful series. Um, I haven't seen it in person yet, and I feel terrible oh, because okay. I really yeah. want to. The the photos are stunning. Thank you. Um, and the artwork is just tremendous. And so, with that, um, how long is are is your uh, oil series up in Cedarhurst. At Cedarhurst. Uh, my show is up till July 29th. Okay. And uh, this coming Saturday, not this weekend, but next weekend on July 9th, we're going to have a, a cross-pollination of first my opening to let everyone see the paintings, and then it's going to go into this uh, tattoo discussion that Guy's going to host, uh, letting explaining more f deeply uh, the history of tattooing and where it's at now. But my personal show is up till July 29th. And if anyone's interested, I have a book that goes with the show. And it's available online. Um, 
michellewortmanpaintings.com, and it shows the whole entire series. And there's over 100 paintings in here, so you can wow. Maybe I'll leave one with you so you can you can get to know it. So That's it's pretty awesome. exciting. And but, these will be available yeah, at the yeah, event I'll be, on I'll the be selling these, and they're very inexpensive. So wonderful for anyone who can't make it to the show or who wants to collect. But um, wonderful, yeah. and I, I I love the I love the duality within your paintings of the hardness of the geometric applications with the softness of the floral pieces and the pastel colors and 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 the the contrast that that, that creates within the work um, and i i just i really love the vibrancy of the pieces themselves thank you um, the colors as well as as well as the subjects thank you for saying that i appreciate that I try to explore uh, representational imagery mixed with abstractions, and I like the the representational imagery, like a flower or a bird or something that you can identify is is almost can become you, the viewer, and then the abstract space is sort of where your mind goes and where it takes you. And I want it to be an open experience for anyone to to have. I don't want to like absolutely declare meaning in it. I want it to be open to interpretations. So. Yeah, and so just yeah. like we were discussing earlier, it's really about. The person viewing the painting and 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 how it hits them and how right. they feel. Yeah, I like I like to let people have their own experience with things and just facilitate that through my art in general, whether it's tattooing or painting. I just feel like I'm I'm an artist doing my work, and then it goes out into the world, and it's people respond to it in different ways. Yeah, so. yeah, and it it's beautiful, and and I can't wait to get up there, oh, cool. and see it, um, and and interact with it in person. Um, and like I said, I, I told you both, my father is really, really excited about getting up there. Excited. He mentioned your artwork wow. um, as well as um, your presentation, which will be on July 9th. And so, Guy, tell us about what you'll be doing on July 9th. Okay, well, it's, it's going to be a, a, a slideshow kind of presentation. There'll be some imagery, a little bit of history. You know, you, you've heard bits and snatches of it like I was talking about here what tattooing was like back in the day and what, is it, what it has evolved into now. Uh, that's going to be a lot of the thrust of it, is, is the evolution of tattooing as an art form and its current, current state, the current level that it's at. I'll be showing examples, not just of my own work. Um, and it's not really, I'm not trying to convince people to get tattooed. It's really just, I think, a, a celebration of this unlikely emergence of, of this sort of cultural pariah into something magnificent, which, which tattooing is today. And, and truly an elevated art form at this point. I feel so. And one thing that I've been struck by just over the past few days reading about both of you is the collaboration mindset. And, and I feel like that, and maybe this is me in my na naivete, but... I feel like that's not typical within tattoo artists is is for it to be a collaborative art form. And and exactly how does that work? Well, okay, there there is a lot of collaboration happening. I mean, even just between the artist and the client. Um I mean, if the artist is any good, they're going to have a certain openness to their client's ideas and make that client feel like they've been heard, that their ideas are important and valid. Um and that the final tattoo should should embody those things. I've never thought of it that way. I've always thought of it as the tattoo artist, and it, it is not all about the tattoo artist. And if it is, that that artist is is not doing it right. Well, that's that's the service they're providing. Some people might want that, but it would be right. nice if your artist, you know, 
values the client as much as they value the work they're doing and see it as a, as a co-process. I personally think yeah. that it's the most important part of the process. Uh, you know, that person's energy, their ideas, even the curveballs and surprises that they throw at you, uh, that's what makes it unique. That's what makes it surprising. That's what, what as an artist, keeps you from just getting into a rut and doing, you know, the same thing over and over again or, or just variations on a theme. Uh, so, yeah, first of all, there's a lot of collaboration there. Within the industry, there's an awful lot of close communication between the artists. And there's also this sense of needing to keep up. There's this, you know, people come in with photos of the latest tattoos that they've seen on Instagram Pinterest, or, or Pinterest. Pinterest yeah. And they say, I want this. And then the artist that they bring it to is going to look at it and either they're going to say, okay, I'll do it exactly like that. Or they'll say, well, I'm not going to copy somebody else's tattoo, but tell me the things you like about this idea the most and I'll come up with something unique that says all that. And so not so much collaboration, but definitely some melting pot action going on there. And then just artists working together. Michelle and I collaborate occasionally. Um, People come through that collaborate. Pre-COVID, pre yeah. I had usually one artist a month coming through that we were doing major collaborations. And, and these are, when I say collaborations, this is from the very beginning of the design stage that artist and I will throw sketches back and forth and then we'll combine those into larger sketches and then maybe bring them into the iPad and start really fusing them. And by the time we've made the stencil, uh, we've already... Each person has gone over every part of it a couple of times. And then that same process happens on skin where we're, we're taking turns on the different parts of the tattoo. Usually both people working at the same time. So, you know, the, the client is sitting for two sets of, of machines, mm -hmm. which I've, I've been in that position before and it hurts, but it's not twice as bad. It's just a little bit worse. You get it done a lot qu more quickly. The though. sense of it getting done is amazing. Yeah. You look in the super, mirror and you're like, A superhuman... Wow. Tattoo uh, machine he, collaboration. So, so it's pretty, it's pretty insane. I mean, people come in for multiple days for multiple artists, you know, six hours a day, uh, and it's it's actually quite heroic what some of these collectors do. But you know, of course, because of that effort, they're able to get these really unique pieces, a synergy of of different artistic uh, styles coming together in this unique moment that could only happen to them. And and that collaboration isn't just within tattoos. It's also within your canvas work as well. You've got a lot of collaborative pieces featured on your website as well. Yeah, there's been quite a few of those. And those are all, all almost all of them. They've been with other tattoo artists. Yeah. And, uh, and tattooers did not used to paint very much. And that's another thing that Michelle and I have seen happen a lot uh, over the years is gradually it became less and less of a novel thing. And now it's almost expected, you know? You would see a tattooer's tattoos and you say, so do you got any paintings? You know, or back in the day, no, of course not. Yeah, I what, do, do I look like a painter? Where's my beret? Come on. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm, I'm just, I'm in love with the idea of that openness from an artistic standpoint and that, um, that generosity in, in working together and working with other artists and um, and really cr 
creating something incredibly special with such a unique perspective because it's two artistic perspectives landing together. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it generosity, although there might be some of that. Uh, I am really interested in trying to gain something for myself from the experience too, though. You know, uh, So if I see, especially now, we've got this new younger generation of artists showing up on the scene that are incredible, right? And they're learning to tattoo way faster than we could back in the day because everything's been improved. All the equipment's been improved. It is so high tech now. But back in the day, it was Victorian era rattle trap garbage that you're tattooing with. Uh, half the struggle was just getting that thing to, to cooperate with you, where now it's not even an issue at all. Um, but uh, I, was, I was getting at something, wasn't I? Uh, you're just saying that it's not, um, I don't remember what word he said, it's, it's not generosity. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm just, I'm hoping <laughs> that, that these incredible new artists that I'm seeing this work from that makes me feel vaguely intimidated, the best thing that I could do is invite them to the studio and do a collaboration with them. You know, I'd rather do that than fear them. You know what I mean? Or resent them. I would rather... Uh, be able to collaborate with them and maybe they'll gain as much from it as I do but I know I'll gain something from it well I, does that do you does that fit into uh, almost a mentorship type of model in your mind as well because of how established you are in the industry that's a good question. by bringing in a, a young up-and-coming artist into the studio that you have something to gain from from right. they obviously have tremendous amounts to gain from you from being in your space and in your studio of course, they'll tell me it's an honor and a great experience. You know, never would have imagined it happening. I, I, yeah, I definitely get a lot of a lot of very profuse thanks for those opportunities. But just saying, they're not the only one gaining from. It. Yeah, everyone everyone gains, including the collector. Right. Well, the collector yeah, gets obviously. This. The the amazing thing about that is, in in some cases, only one collaboration is going to happen between myself and this artist. You know, we both have families, and it's hard. The logistic uh, the logistic end of it is is compli- uh, complicated. And so it makes the piece even more unique because the artist doing the piece is an artist that can only exist when those two artists are in the same room. And then, of course, that further collaborative energy of that particular client, their idea, the fact that that moment is causing everything to come together because of them requesting the tattoo, uh, it makes for a, a very singular artistic moment. And then this piece happens. And then nothing like that is ever going to happen again. Mm-hmm. That's I, I'm in love with all of it. Um, and I'm so happy to have both of you here today. I want to be respectful of your time, but I feel like I could talk to you guys all day because this is, you're both so knowledgeable and such fantastic artists with such unique outlooks and styles and perspectives on the industry. It's a pleasure to have you here today. It's a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's do this again. Let's do it again. Can be a part two sometime. I, when our, I would yeah, love that. Not so busy. And in the meantime, anyone watching, um, come and see these two amazing artists on July 9th at Cedarhurst Center for the Arts. Uh, a link to their website uh, where you can get tickets for that event will be in uh, will be in the content on the post and in the description on the podcast. Cool. Thank you. We look forward to uh, promoting it too through your podcast. Yeah. Thank yeah. you both so much for joining us. Thank you, Josh. I am with you.
Thank you for joining us for State of the Arts Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center, focusing on artists, artisans, musicians, arts organizations, arts events, and also national touring acts coming to the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Special thanks to A.J. Rice, our associate producer. We would also like to thank Carve for today's soundtrack. We would like to thank Guy Aitchison and Michelle Wertman for being part of today's podcast. We would also like to thank Carrie Gibbs from Cedarhurst Center for the Arts for arranging this interview. Quick reminder, the event Art of Tattoo featuring Guy Aitchison and Michelle Wertman will be at Cedarhurst Center for the Arts July 9th. You can find a link to where you can buy tickets in the description of this episode. And now for I Am With You from Carve in its entirety. Uh